Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. So I, um, I feel like this is going to be a part three, uh, just keeping me in the flow in the theme of the whole meology versus kingdomology. There's just so much, I think, for us to glean and to gain from that. And so... Um, the, in the crux of meology, it is that's the living for yourself piece of life. That's where we, um, where we're, you know, living to fulfill the needs of ourselves. We put us before others. We put us before the kingdom of God, those types of things. And it sounds like, oh, I don't do that. You know, I'm not a selfish person. I'm a giving person. But when you really think about it, the kingdom that God desires for us to live in looks way different than the way we live in, in the world around us. Uh, so I'm going to recap a minute, and then I'm going to get into what I feel like God wants me to share today. And you're right, I am going to pray for myself. So. <laughs> so, Father, I just give myself to you. I give myself to you this morning. Everything that you want to come forth, may it come forth with power and authority. May it be rhema as it was planted inside of me. May it come forth the same, with the same power and authority. So may you open the hearts of the people to receive your word and help me to deliver it in a way that they can uh, consume it. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could get up here and just talk to you like he talks to me, it would be completely different. But now I have to change the language a little bit, you know. Do you know what I'm saying? Does he talk to you guys in a particular way? Because he does me. And it usually would look like this crazy, the back of a tapestry. You know what that looks like? It looks crazy. Uh, but it all makes sense in my head. So we cannot walk in alignment with God if we do not align to God. We cannot walk in alignment with God if we're not in alignment to God. And I believe that the church is in a season of alignment, specifically in this house, but I think it's bigger than that. And he really is trying to align our hearts to his will and his purpose. And we've been led astray. We have been led astray. And uh, I believe that um, religion has fed us a bill of cell that is not complete. It's left us lacking. And so I feel like in my spirit, God is wanting to right some of the misconceptions and the misnomers of what he wants out of a kingdom that he's preparing for his son to come and rule and reign. So the first part, when the first week that I shared on meology versus kingdomology, I asked the question of whose kingdom are you a part of? Are you living in a meology world or have you taken up citizenship in the kingdom of heaven? And that happens, actually. We do become citizens of heaven when we receive salvation. But that's so far reaching for us in our finite minds sometimes. It seems like that's not, we're not worthy of that. And we live in a culture that would like to remind us of how much we're missing it versus where we're seated and where we're designed to rule and reign from. And that we're a kingdom of sons and daughters, priests and kings. We're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. Those are all part of your identity of who you are. 
And you can find that in Peter. And then the next time I got to share, God took me to the book of Judges. And we shared about, um, I, I had an opportunity to share the whole book, it felt like. But it's just kind of the same reciprocating thing over and over again. And we find ourselves in cycles, do we not? Where we walk into a season where everything's going really well, and then before we know it, things aren't going so well, and then before you know it, they're really not going well, but all of a sudden, there's a shift and a change, and then the tide seems to turn, and things begin to get better, and then they get better, and they're better for a season, and then the next season begins, and the cycle continues. And that's the same thing that we find in Judges with the children of Israel. It's the same cycle. They would find themselves in a situation where they would turn their hearts to God. And then the enemy would come in. They would lose sight of God. They would need a deliverer to come in and save them. So a judge would be appointed to do that. God would. They would cry out to God. God, save us. He would send a deliverer. That deliverer would save them. They would be good for a season until they weren't. But I believe that God can allow us to live in a place where we are not in this reciprocating process always. Not that things won't shift and change, but that our understanding that we have been provided a Savior and a Deliverer who came once and for all and took care of all that, and we don't have to continuously be on that cycle of unworthiness. Because while Jesus is the only one worthy to be praised, right? We all agree to that, right? He's the only one worthy of worship. We were worthy for God to send his son. We were worthy for that. And that is so hard for us to receive sometimes. That we were worthy, Jen. And so then, therefore, we cannot receive the deliverer to the full extent of what God created for us. That we put ourselves, and this sounds really strange, but we put our lack before God. And that is part of meology, too. Because that is not the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. That is not the kingdom he came to establish. He has more for you. So I'm actually here to share with you, not condemnation, but a beautiful story of how much he loves you. And how he wants way more for you to rule and reign and to exist in a place that's much higher than where we find ourselves existing. Which is a beautiful thing. So I looked up the word alignment because I have, I've been using that a lot in this season. I've probably said it to every one of you in here at one point or another. And if not all of you, pretty close. <laughs> but alignment, um, so something happens. In order to need an alignment, there is something that had occurred to cause a shift. Something to be off. So, um, in the spring, I think it was in the spring, I got, anybody that knows me knows I like my Jeep. 
I like her. She has a name. <laughs> I enjoy driving her. I prefer her over all of our other vehicles. And I usually don't let Wade drive. I let him drive to church this morning. It's highly, highly unusual, especially on a Sunday morning, because that is the one day that I am so excited to get here that his driving drives me crazy. <laughs> and it is best for our marriage and the spirit, the bond of peace and the spirit of unity for me to drive. <laughs> but I did let him drive today. But we decided to put a lift kit on her on the Jeep <laughs> and to get her some new shoes, I like to call them. It's an extravagance. I can't, I have no excuse. But she's pretty. <laughs> so we did this. Well, when we were finished making those adjustments, putting those no, new things on, she was out of alignment. So when I was excited to get in there and drive her with her new shoes on, and it just was not a good ride. It was jiggly. Every little rut that was in the road would pull me into it because now my tires are bigger. And it was as if I had much less control on the road because my car was out of alignment. And I had to take it in to get an alignment. There's something that happens when you're up here. It's not the dry mouthing. It's like this truth serum. Just everything comes out. So if there's anything in there, it's just, it just comes out for me. I just share it all. So. so I decided to take care of that. I wasn't going to take it to Wade. I was just going to go in and have the alignment done. I knew where I wanted to take it. I knew what it needed. So I was just going to take it in and have it done. And so I did. And so they print out this report, and it tells you about the different parts of the tire. There's like three parts. Don't ask me what the names of them are, but they showed me on the thing. The can't, yep, all those things. Ken's rolling off back there. <laughs> There's one of them that cannot be adjusted on a Jeep. Um, I don't remember what that one's called. The, anyway, I want to say it, but I'm not even going to try. Um, but it can't be adjusted. And there's one part of it that causes the shaking, like there's this little shake. There's one that causes it to want to, um, to go into the ruts in the road that it doesn't ride as steady. But they make these little bitty adjustments. They're not really big adjustments. They're these small degrees, and it changes the ride tremendously. Like, after we had that done, I was like, wow, I can go over that bump, and it doesn't, you know, jostle, jostle me around so much. And it's really nice when the car is in alignment. Well, I get her aligned. Wade is not happy with the price, the market price for alignments. He is not happy with. Y'all can talk to him about that later. But I was really glad I took care of him. He's like, I can't believe they charged you that much. But, well, we decided to take her to play. She had a little play date with some of her other Jeep friends. Can y'all just go with me and just let me? Thank you. So we get her together with all of her Jeep friends, and <laughs> we take her out to play in her new shoes. I'd just gotten her aligned. I mean, literally probably a week before we went to play out on Silver Lake on the dunes. I had the best time. Who knew I was going to like that? But I totally liked it. She lost a fender. <laughs> 
hurt me. It hurt me. It hurt me just a little bit. Anyway, those, uh, they, there are these ruts that are formed in the sand. They call them whoopties. And those of you that have been out to the dunes may know what those are. Dustin is shaking his head. He knows what those are. Well, these whoopties form in the, in the dunes because of the cars going over the dunes so much. And it creates this like you're going over a rumble strip. That's what it's like. Well, I think I went over too many whoopties and knocked my Jeep out of alignment again. And she does not drive as smoothly as she did before. Wade was able to repair the fender, and we got all of her parts. We went down this one dune, and this is side note, but it's just a fun story. I see something black go flying across the <laughs> side of the Jeep. The fender's laying out back behind it down the hill. I thought I was going to cry. Anyway. So now she seems to be out of alignment again. And I think that's very similar to our life, right? We can align with God, and a little whoop-dee comes along, <laughs> a little rumble strip in life, and it creates an unbalance again. It creates this place where we're not in alignment. We're not in alignment for what God wills for us and how he, uh, where he wants to take us. We experience this little bit of turbulence, so to speak, and it creates this issue. So, y'all pray for her. She's still not right, but we're working on it. <laughs> I'm working on it, trying to figure it out. So, alignment is so significant. You know, a, a few weeks ago, I shared in Amos 3.3, 3, it says, How can two walk together unless they are in accord? Unless they are in alignment. And that doesn't, doesn't just mean me and my brother and my sister, but it means with God. Am I horizontally in alignment, but am I vertically in alignment with the plan and the will that God has for my life? And Wade talked about uh, a vision that you had, right, about the shower, Wade, and it just needed a little bit of an adjustment. Karen talks about it all the time. It really blessed her. But, um, you know, we, we, sometimes we just need a little bit of an adjustment. And if we make that little bit of an adjustment, we can get in alignment with the will of God. And I think for us as believers, it's, it's shifts in the way we think, our perspective, and our understanding of who God is and, and what he desires for us. And so if I want to walk in unity, Wade and I, yesterday, in all transparency, we had a little bit of a whoopty between the two of us. It was a bit of a rumble strip. And it took a few minutes for us to get in accord with each other. It took a while for us to get in an alignment with each other. And, you know, and it wasn't easy. It was a bit of a struggle. And I think that when we think about when we're trying to align with the will of God, we think it's like this really super easy thing. And I want it to be like, I want to feed this to you today. I want you to have a rhema revelation. And it just transforms the way you see the kingdom of heaven and your place in it. But I also understand that we have to wrestle with our own ideas and our own place of being in the process. And so that creates a challenge and maybe a little bit of an uphill, uphill battle. But he wants us to be in alignment with his will for us. And I, one week I had 
you know, we talk about the yoke, and one week I had Sophie come up, and, and I got her yoked up, and, you know, and Jesus always talked in parables about farming, but there is something really significant about the yoke. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so when we are yoked up with him, it is easy. The issue is, is that we do tend to live in this world that isn't his perspective, isn't the reality of heaven. And so then that creates this friction and this unalignment with the way that we see who we are in the kingdom and the way that God sees how we should be, how he created us to be in alignment with him. And so he uses this term yoke because that's what they would have done with the ox or whatever they were using to plow the ground. They would have used this yoke, and we have several yokes out on the farm um, and they're fairly small ones, and the ones that we have are made out of wood, and it's really just this straight piece of wood for my little perspective with these metal clamps on the end of it. And then what would happen is one would be put around one ox, and the other would be put around the other ox. And where one went, the other had to go. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to plow the ground. Right? So one can't go to the left and the other one go to the right. That would not happen. So we need to decide where we're yoked. Are we going to yoke up with the kingdom of heaven? Are we going to yoke up with the things of this world and our own perspective of things? Because if we're doing that, then we're trying to go in opposite directions. We're not walking in accord with the will of God, the plan of God. Does that make sense? Okay. Awesome. So, I want to, do, to just think about um, alignment. If you look up a definition for alignment, it says, this is one, you know, it gives you multiple definitions, so I'm going to throw a couple of them out to you. One definition says, an organization of people involved in a pact or or treaty. And I thought that one was significant because we're in covenant relationship. We are in a pact. We have come into agreement, or we should, as Christians, as citizens of heaven, we've come into agreement with the plan of heaven, with the plan of God. Right? So that's alignment. But we have to do that. We have to come into agreement with that. And so covenant is very important. And honestly, he is revealing more and more to me in very, very interesting ways about covenant. And it, that is not something that we use in our culture today. So it's not an idea that we fully understand. Because it's not of this kingdom. It's not of the world's kingdom. But it is a part of the kingdom of heaven. And I think if we could really understand covenant, then we could, fully, we could live more fully in the kingdom of heaven. But it's interesting because it's woven completely in and out of scripture. And so alignment is the same thing, that we are aligning with the will. So it talks about position. So alignment refers to the correct positioning of something. The correct positioning. Or in the correct place in relation to other things. Can you think about that yoke? If we're yoked up to him or whatever we are yoked to, we're going to move in the direction of that thing. We are aligned to that. That could be the way we think. 
That could be the things that control our life. That could be the people that we surround ourselves with. What are we in alignment with? Whose word are we in alignment with, even over our life? What have we agreed to? What are we agreeing with for our life and for who God created us to be and what he desires for us? What are we aligning to? We know that he has. We say it all the time. Lord, we want your will. We want to walk. We want more of you. We want more of you. If I've never seen a house speak more of more of him <laughs> than we do. We want to give him our yes. But if we do that, then we have to align with him. We have to align with his will. So that means that we have to decrease. We have to let go of the me part of us to pick up the kingdom part of him. We have to go. We cannot walk in alignment with God if we do not align to God. So he took me to Galatians. And so, honestly, I need to preach five chapters. I'm not really sure how I'm going to do that, but we're going to work through this. But it starts out talking about Paul, and Paul has been off doing ministry, and it says, I haven't been back to, to Jerusalem in some time. Now, if we know anything about Paul's character and his nature, Paul was very smart. He was very keen. He knew the Jewish law. He knew it very, 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 very well. As a matter of fact, he wanted to crucify Christians. That's he wanted to destroy Christians because he felt like they were, in my words, an abomination to the, to the plan of God, that it was outside of God. And that's what he did. He persecuted Christians by his own admission. Very smart. Paul was very smart, very wise in scripture and customs of, Jew, of the Jewish people. Well, when he had his Damascus Road moment where he met Jesus and he was blinded, and who wanted to be that disciple that was sent to heal Paul, right? That was not an assignment. Anybody was like, uh, I'll be the first to go, right? That disciple really had to give his yes. But he did. He went. He prayed for Paul. Paul got his sight back. But, you know, God had to blind him to get him into alignment with his will for him. Because Paul was convinced of his way. And do you remember when we talked about judges, that passage of Scripture that repeats over and over, they did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what we do. We think that we're doing what is right. Paul thought he was doing what was right in his own eyes by persecuting Christians. He thought he was getting rid of the sin, the thing that would cause them to stumble and to fall. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. And so it took, it took an encounter with God, for him to recognize that he was not aligned to the will of the Father. And there are things in our lives that we want to do what's right in our own eyes, and we think that it is, but it's actually contrary, not in a condemnation way, in a thinking way. We've just eaten some of the lies that religion has taught us, 
that culture has taught us that don't align with the kingdom and the will of God for our lives. And they, those things set up in our mind and they become strongholds. We can also make idols out of that. We can make religion out of our own thoughts and our own way of being. It's crazy to think what can happen. But here's the thing. Christianity is a monistic religion. It's a one God. One God. It is not dualistic. There is no place for yours, your will, and his will. There really isn't. There's no place for that. Because he's one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he desires to share himself with no other God. With no one else. So in Galatians chapter 2, so much. There's so much, so much. But I'm going to move to Galatians chapter 2. Paul has written this letter to the, the church in Galatians. And he's wanting to share with them the reality of the Messiah. He has found them to be a... Culture of people that have compromised. They were following Christ, but then they began to incorporate the religious rituals of the Jewish customs. They went back. Nobody needs to answer this, but how many times do we see that? God brings us through something. But then we find ourselves slipping back into our old way of being, our old way of thinking, our old habits, our old mindsets. And so Paul has come in, come on the scene to share with them that there's a better way. To remind them that they're no longer under the law, but that they're under grace. Grace has been provided. So this morning I went around and randomly asked... What grace was? Well, you'd be surprised how many of you thought it was a test and you were going to fail. <laughs> there was no pass or fail. But grace, I thought you were in trouble. Poor Lee, he was like, well, don't know. <laughs> Told you, I'd just call you Adam's truth serum. But it's interesting because grace is this untangible thing. That God deposits in us at salvation. It is through grace that we are saved. Now that can be the empowering of grace. The promise of grace. Or the unmerited grace. Where the past. Right? Where we're no longer bound to sin in our life. That grace now comes in and takes a place. And it's very interesting in Galatians. I am going to just skip around because otherwise I'll never get there. But it's very interesting because Paul will say, does that mean that that is a license for you to sin? 
And he pretty much says that would be absurd. That would be absurd for you to think that God sent to deliver a Messiah once and for all to pay the penalty of your sin and then for you to continue to live in sin. But for you to understand that you are now part of a kingdom where you rule and reign. I've shared this before, but it's very interesting to me that we continue to want to be punished. Why? Why do we want to be punished? That was the thing I feared all my life, was getting in trouble. I didn't want to be. So I would do whatever it took, even if maybe it was not completely correct or right, to avoid punishment. And if we look at God as the punisher, even in the terms that we use for grace, do you remember when Wade last week, he was talking about the shepherd, and that wasn't part of his message, but he talked about the rod and the staff, and that God never intends to use the rod on the sheep. He never intends. But the staff is used for direction and correction. I'm telling you, that right there, if we could get that understanding, that he uses it, that grace then is used for direction and correction and to empower us. But it is not used to punish us because we are not under the law. We're not under the law. And Paul says in Galatians that we have to choose. Are we going to live under the law? Are we going to live under grace? Which one are we going to live under? Because he said, if you're going to choose to live under the law of punishment, to which we'll never live up to, we cannot, then you have to do it unto the letter of the law. It's our choice. It's our choice. Whether we want to receive the gift of grace as a matter of fact, I have a gift. I'm going to read this scripture first before I go there. Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In the Passion Translation, it says, My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the Anointed One lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. We have been co-crucified. If we do not die to our old life and our old way of thinking, we cannot take up the plan that God has for us. We will always live in a place where we feel like we need to be punished. 
We will always live in a place where we never quite do enough. We were always missing the mark. We will become so sin conscious that we won't be able to see the gift of grace that has been provided for us through the Messiah. If we do not die completely to who we were before and the way of being and pick up that new life, we will continue to return there. We will continue to return there because there is something sadistic about the fact that we feel like we need to be punished all the time. Not only do we feel like we need to be punished, but the people around us need to pay for what they do. Right? But God didn't call us to a life of punishment. He called to lead us and guide us and direct us. To correct us when we need it. To live a life where we're not so sin conscious we can't see the gift of salvation that's been provided for us. That is not an excuse to sin. Because we no longer live in that life. We have been taken out of that life. We have been crucified. We have, got, we have to go through our own crucifixion. We have to go through our own death. And allow ourselves to be renewed with him. Now this sounds like a salvation, a plan of salvation message, but it's actually much, much greater than that. Yeah, there is salvation there for us to receive, but that's only the beginning of what God has for us. Because it's really easy in the moment to surrender our will to him, but how often then do we want to begin to punish ourselves again? And think about the way we missed it today. And all the things that we allow me to become greater than he. Than he. And if we pick up that life and we allow our old man to be crucified. And it doesn't become about us, but it becomes about him. His life lived through us. His life lived through us. It's then nothing to do with me. I don't wake up every day thinking, oh, my Lord, how am I going to miss it today? I lived a lot of years that way without grace. And y'all know, I have told you, probably 25 years of my Christian walk, there was no grace. No grace. I never closed my eyes at night without another salvation prayer. Because what if I died before I woke up? Religion had me so bound. All I felt was the, the rod. The rod of the shepherd. And that is not where he wants us to live. Does he want to move me and correct me and corral me and keep me? He absolutely does. But he's here to punish my enemy. Not me. And it's been, we talked about, I can't even think of the word. What's it called to go through now? Uh, where they tear apart their thoughts and their ways of being. Deconstruction. That's it. That's the word I was looking for. Progressive Christianity uses that word of lot. I've, I've gone through a deconstruction. and I'm deconstructing. I have too. Thank God. And you know what I recognized? <laughs> That I wasn't living where God wanted me to live. 
that I wasn't living where he intended for me to rule and reign from, that I didn't know him at all. I had no idea who he was. He was a God that was out to get me, always mad at me, always waiting for me to miss it. And I can absolutely tell you that that's not who he is. Because when he sees me, he sees his son. When he sees me, he sees righteousness. When he sees me, he sees his beloved. Now it's my turn to change the way I see me. To allow him to renew my thinking and my thoughts of who I am and how he sees me. Because he's provided it all for me. I love the way it's written here in verse 20. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine because I have been co-crucified. It's no longer my life that I live. But it's his. It's his life. That battle that wages on the inside, the struggle, the struggle that we go through is because we're still trying to be yoked separately. We're not aligning our will with the will of the Father. And we need to align so that that struggle is not, it's surrender. I surrender my will to your will. I surrender my plan to your plan for my life. All right, I'm moving on down. He goes on to say in verse 21, he says, So that is why I don't view God's grace as something minor or peripheral, something that's in my side view. For if keeping the law could release God's righteousness to us, the anointed one would have died for nothing. He does not want you to stay under the thumb of the law. He wants you to live in grace. He wants you to live in grace. To lay down that old man. All those things that trip us off. All, all those whoopties. He wants us to lay them down. And pick up in our death. New life. A new creation. To walk anew with him. It starts in, verse, in chapter 3. It says, uh, verse 1. I'm just going to read just a little bit right here. What has happened to you, Galatians, to be acting so foolishly? You must have been under some kind of evil spell. Paul is like, how in the world could you even have drank that Kool-Aid of the law again? You must be under some kind of spell to have even allowed yourself to want to go back there. Why would you have picked up those things that Christ covered and took care of for you? Didn't God open your eyes to see the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion? Wasn't he revealed to you as the crucified one? So answer me this. Did the Holy Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping all the Jewish laws? No. You received him as a gift because you believed in the Messiah. Your new life in the anointed one began with the Holy Spirit giving you a new birth. Why then would you so foolishly turn from living in the Spirit by trying to finish your own works? 
He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. I shared this on Tuesday night at Praise and Presence. Jesus came to establish his kingdom, but he said, he looked at his disciples, he said, I have to go. I have to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. You need the Holy Spirit. I have accomplished the will of my Father. I have a plan, an eternal plan for you. But I need to go so that the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit can come. Who needs a gift this morning? We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Well, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.